Awesome. I want us to give our worship team a great round of applause this morning. That was powerful, powerful. When she was singing earlier, and she was singing, we were singing about Jesus in the grave, man, my heart was just like, holy cow, like, this place could open up. Jesus come back, it's going to be good. So I'm so excited that you're here today. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm so excited you're here, okay? Could you do that? Just invite your neighbor. That's good. Some of you are like, I brought them. <laughs> That's kind of awkward, all right? We're, uh, we're in a brand new series that we're launching today, and I just want to tell you, we're about to go on a really cool journey over the next four weeks. Uh, I know we always say that. One of the things that we do is we try to prepare sermon series uh, way in advance, and this is something that we've been praying about for a long time. Um, people ask me all the time, they say, you know, where do you come up with some of these ideas? Like, where do y'all go? And, and I just want to be real honest. I really feel like the Lord leads us. And we pray about every sermon series that we do. And as a staff team, we sit down and and we talk about where God is really working in the lives of our people. Uh, I want to just tell you, God's doing a lot in our church right now. I just want to celebrate. Last Tuesday night, we had our first night of worship in the city of LaGrange. And uh, I think we ought to give God praise for that because some of you drove down and you were a part of that night of worship with us. And um, it was one of those moments where we just kind of felt like we were just kind of in suspense, like God was just with us and we were worshiping and having an amazing time. And it's like, we just didn't want to leave. You know, it's like the last night of a youth camp. It's like, no, do we have to really go home? And, uh, but it was awesome. And so I want to thank you guys for supporting that. God's doing a great work in the city of LaGrange and he's doing a great work here in Noonan. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I want to tell you, Easter is coming up. Okay. We have six services over three days in two cities. Now that we're a multi-site church, uh, we're going to be hosting an 11 o'clock service down in the city of LaGrange, as well as our 930 service. But then we're going to have services here on Sunday morning, 930 and 11. And then we're also doing Friday and Saturday leading up to Easter um, at 7 p.m. It's going to be an amazing, amazing weekend. And I know you have these on your chair. Uh, you know, the thing I love about our church, we have about 2,800 billboards, okay? I don't know if you've seen the 2,800 billboards we have. I have because I see you out in the community all the time. You are the 2,800 billboards. Everywhere you go, you inviting people. I was at a car wash yesterday and had the opportunity. I always pray about who the Lord wants me to invite. Like, God, do you want to talk to this person, you know? And I prayed about it and the Lord's like, you need to, you need to invite that person. And I literally just walked over and said, hey, you don't know me from Adam. Like, I'm not going to steal anything from you. But uh, I just want to invite you to come to my church and handed the guy the ticket. I don't even know if you're here today. If you're here today, hey, man, thanks. Next time I'll buy your car wash. I promise. All right. But I want you to be inviting people. Okay. The best 2,800 billboards in all of South Atlanta is South Crest Church. Amen. Okay. You guys need to loosen up a little bit. Listen, it is one week past time change. All right, now look at your neighbor and say, wake up. Okay, we're going to go with it today. It's going to be awesome. So I want to tell you, I'm pumped about Easter. I'm pumped about this series. We're doing a new series called The Road to Pardon. And uh, some of you go, man, that looks like a very intense series. Well, it's going to be intense, but it's going to be intense in a lot of different ways because I think we're about to go on a really cool journey over the next four weeks. Over the next four weeks, we are going to be looking at the last 72 hours of the life of Jesus. The last 72 hours, what would you do today if you knew you had three days to live? What would you do today if you got a diagnosis that says you have this massive brain tumor and you're literally going to live three days? What would you do? Who would you spend time with? What would you say? What would you say to them? What words would you give to them? What actions would you do in your life 
that would really matter. You know, I think last words are some of the most profound words. I mean, think about it this way. Jesus lived 33 years while he was here on this earth. But what we're going to look at over the next three days or the next uh, four weeks is his last three days. The last three days of the life of Jesus. So it's, it's going to get really intense. And so we've, we've kind of named this sermon series, The Road to Pardon. And that word pardon is kind of like a word that, you know, we don't talk about a lot. Like if you're a jailer or you're in prison or whatever it is, you know, pardon's like a really good thing. Like I was looking up famous pardons this week online, different people who've received pardons. Did you know that Blackbeard the pirate received a pardon? That's just weird to me. Because it says that even after he received a pardon, he went out and committed more crimes and went back to jail after his pardon, okay? Some people just never learn. But you know, he's a swashbuckler. So the truth is, we all kind of struggle with this word pardon. I mean, pardon is like a word that you don't, you know, pardon me. I mean, that's the South, right? We're all very nice down here until we start driving, amen? And uh, that word pardon is a big word. So I want to tell you the first time in my life I really understood my need for a pardon in my life, okay? And then we're gonna explain what pardon means. Um, I am the youngest of five kids. Some of you know that, some of you don't. I am the baby of the family. If you're the baby of the family, raise your hand. That's right, that's right, okay? So you feel my love, you feel my pain. I am a survivor, okay? Destiny's Child wrote that song for me. And um, because I survived everything that my brothers and sisters put me through growing up. Now, my brothers and sisters would say, well, you were the golden child. You know, mom and dad, listen, I got all their leftovers. I got all their hand-me-downs. Don't buy me any of that stuff, okay? My mom and dad, when I was old enough to like walk, they were like, hey, can you walk yet? Yeah, good. Okay, you raise yourself. We've done this four other times, okay? You're just gonna have to figure it out. And so being the youngest of, uh, of five kids, I had a brother that was two years older than me. And, and I was pretty close to him growing up because when you're two years apart, you wanna do everything your big brother does. And he was an incredible athlete. Like he could have played college football. He, he, he's a very, very intelligent guy. I love him to death. He was my hero on the baseball field, my hero on the football field. I wanted to be just like him. And you know how that is. I mean, when you're growing up in someone's shadows, but there's also that thing that happens when you have a brother that's two years older than you. There's a lot of fighting that goes on. Yeah. As you get older, you know, it goes from fighting like this to like fighting like this. You know what I'm saying? And so me and my brother were, I'm, I'm like 10 and he's like 12. Maybe I was 11. He was 13. And it was at that time where, you know, you're getting into that. I, I Mama said, take you out. Okay, I'm going to knock you out. I mean, that's kind of like our verb for each other. Like, if you mess with me, I'm going to take you down. And so it was one of those seasons where me and my brother, we were fighting. And so my parents, out of their love and concern and deep desire to help us grow up, decided that we should room together. Okay, world wars start over that. And uh, so we're rooming together and we have two twin beds. We grew up in a very small house. And I'll never forget, it was one of those days when I was in the room, he was in the room, but neither of us wanted each other in the room. You know how that happens, right, parents? I mean, you pray for that every day. Lord, please don't let that happen in our house again. And so we're in the room, we're hanging out, we're kind of, you know, going back at each other and punching and everything like that. And then it starts to get a little bit more physical. And then it's like, okay, you know, if you hit me again, I'm going to hit you back. And of course, you got to hit him harder, you know, because he's my older brother. I don't want to show him. And I just, I'd had enough. Okay, I had hit that point where I had had enough because it wasn't just bad enough that I had a brother who would like pick on me and beat on me all the time, but his friends would come over. It's like, hey, can I beat up on your little brother? Sure, man. 
30 minutes, he's yours, you know, bam, bam. And, and literally, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I grew up. So I had to learn to fend for myself. But there was this one moment I'll never forget. I had had enough. And my brother had pushed me like over and over and over again. And you know how you would push each other back on the beds and stuff like, get out of my way, you jerk, you know, and all this stuff. And my brother pushed me back. And somehow it was like a matrix moment. You know, the matrix where everything slows down. It's like, Okay, my brother pushes me back on the bed and all of a sudden I feel my left foot go up and I feel the the tip of my left foot literally connect with the bottom of his chin. And I KO'd him. (laughs) And I just looked at him and I was like, you want some of that? (laughs) But here's what I failed to realize Then in about two minutes, my brother would come too. And let me just say, there are three scars on my body, two of which you can't see, (laughs) came as a result of that beating that day. I want to tell you guys, listen, I I needed a pardon. (laughs) I needed someone to walk in, even though I know I had KO'd my brother, and somehow talk him off the ledge and say, you know what? Don't kill your brother. He may do something great in life. You just never know. Listen, All of us in life, as funny as it sounds, we all live in need of a pardon. You know, that's why I think this series is going to be so profound to us. Uh, The word pardon, if you go and you look it up in a legal dictionary, it basically means this. It's the action of an executive official of the government that mitigates or sets aside the punishment for a crime. You see, the only reason that a pardon can exist legally is when somebody has done a crime that they have been found guilty of. And so I realize that even today, all over this congregation, all over this room, there are many of you, some of you have never, you know, this whole thing about God and faith and Jesus is new to you. And so you're here checking this out and you're like, dude, that is like every day of my life. I feel like I've literally just ruined my life. Some of you, you're a believer, you know Christ, but you've done things in your life you're so deeply ashamed of. And you look at your life like a set of scars and, and, and there's one word that whether you realize it or not, you wish you could kind of speak over your life and it's this one word that just says, you're pardoned. It's the idea that you know you've committed the crime. I know I have. I mean, I know growing up, no one had to teach me from a very young age how to be good at getting away with bad stuff. I think all of us in life, if we're really honest, know that we need to be pardoned. Maybe it's something you did when you were a kid. Maybe it's something that happened to you. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what, I I know that a pardon exists, but but I don't know why it's so important. We're going to talk about that over the next four weeks. Because the pardon that we're going to talk about is the one that Jesus paved for us in the last 72 hours of his life. I was reading the other day in the book of Philippians, and it was Paul talking to the church at Philippi, and he said these words in Philippians 2. He was talking about the mindset that Jesus had towards our pardon. You know, Jesus paved our pardon with a mindset. It was an attitude that when he came to this earth, he knew why he was here. 
He wasn't just here to, to do a lot of miracles and all those things, but there was a real mindset behind why Jesus did this. Listen to what it says in Philippians 2, verse 5. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So this is Jesus's mindset towards our pardon. He said, he was in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself being, uh, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus came to this earth with a mentality to pave our pardon. In the 33 years of his life, leading up to the three days that we're going to talk about over the next four weeks, show us the depth and the attitude that he had towards that pardon. Because see, I'm probably like you. You probably sit here and say, I'm not worth that pardon. God, why would you love me? Why? I mean, you've seen the things I've done. You know the things I've done. And Jesus said, you don't understand. That's what I'm coming. He was fully God. He was fully man. And he was coming to pave the way for our part. He knew. He knew we needed it. So here's why we struggle in our relationship with Jesus sometimes. I thought about this. We struggle because we still somehow think that we can pay for our own pardon. I mean, even after becoming a Christian, like if you're a Christ follower here today, there's probably still a part of you that says, I got to work hard at this. Like, I got to get better at it. I got to become a better Christian, right? I got to sin less. I got to do this. And I got all these expectations. You know, if I don't read my Bible every day, I'm a horrible Christian. And, you know, listen, Jesus didn't come and pave our pardon so we could set up our own scorecard. Jesus came and paved the pardon so it could be pardoned in full. I mean, it's kind of like this. Can you imagine sitting in a prison and someone walks in and says, hey, the president of the United States has declared that you, even though you're guilty, you are being pardoned of your crime. And so what do you do? You sit in the jail cell and you say, hey, the soup here on Tuesday and Thursday is pretty good. I'm going to stay here and I'm just going to stay in jail. How crazy would that be? But yet we do that in our lives all the times, even as believers, we don't understand the depth of the pardon that Jesus wanted to bring to us. And here's why I think it's so important. Until we understand the road to pardon that was paid, it's gonna be really hard for us to point others to that road. Because we're gonna continue to make them think it must be about something that you can do to earn it yourself. It's not. It's not. So I'm so excited. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Gospel of John, chapter 13. We're gonna look at one story today in the life of the last three days of Jesus that I think is such a profound, profound story. Now, I wanna tell you this. This road that we're gonna talk about for four weeks was a road that God himself put the quadrants in for, okay? We often think like, you know, humanity killed Jesus. No, listen, humanity didn't kill Jesus. It was the will of the Father all along. God knew that this was the plan. He's like, since the garden, these people have been separated from me and I gotta find a way once and for all to pave their pardon so that I can have a relationship with them again. And so as you look at this passage of scripture we're going to look to today in the gospel of John, I want you to understand Jesus set the GPS coordinates for it. The world didn't do this. Jesus knew. In fact, Jesus knew that in these last three days, the things that would probably take place 
would probably be the most important. So what we're going to talk about today probably happened on Thursday night around 6 p.m. Before Jesus died on the cross and before everything else happened, there was this moment in John 13 where Jesus came and he gathered all of his followers, his disciples. And the Bible tells us in the Gospel of John chapter 13 that he began to wash their feet. And as he began to wash their feet, he began to explain to them that he was not going to be here much longer. He said, hey, guys, it's God's will. Like, I'm going to give my life as a ransom for this whole world. And I'm going to, like, pay the pardon for the whole world. Like, I'm going to set these people free. And I want you to understand what I'm doing. And so what did Jesus do? He got out a towel in a basin and he began to wash their feet because he wanted them to understand how he was going to serve humanity by dying on the cross. And so in that moment of scripture, it's such a beautiful picture that happened on the, around Thursday evening. But many times what we do is we forget the part after it that we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bible, John chapter 13, starting with verse 18, listen to what Jesus says. He says, I am not referring to all of you. What is he talking about? He's talking to his disciples. He says, I know those whom I've chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. In other words, Jesus said, somebody here is going to betray me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And then look at verse 21, because this is where it gets really real for us. He says, after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. I mean, let's just stop right there for a second, okay? All the disciples are in the room. Jesus just washed their feet. He tells them, I'm getting ready to go away. I'm getting ready to like pave this road for you so that you can be pardoned forever. And then in the midst of that, Jesus drops the bomb. And the bomb he drops is, okay, you guys that are in my inner circle, one of you are going to betray me. I don't know about you, but that would be a very confusing moment. That would be like me in this moment saying, there is a serial killer in this room. Okay, some of you just tensed up a little bit. I'm just kidding, okay? There's no serial killer here today. And if you are, listen, don't go for Cocoa Puffs, all right? Um, Hello, are you with me? Some of you guys, y'all need to laugh a little bit. Come on, okay? This is good. The truth is, listen, Jesus knew who was in the room with him. And he said, I want you to see that somebody in this room is about to take me out. Verse 22, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. And one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Now, who was that? We know according to the scripture, that was John. So John in the book of John is like talking about himself in second or third person. Because he was the one whom Jesus loved. He was the one that was so in love with Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, John just wanted to be near him. Jesus says that he was reclining next to him. So Simon Peter, verse 24, motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. In other words, who's the betrayer here? Who's the one? Leaning back against Jesus, he asked, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give the piece of bread when it is dipped in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. 
So Jesus told him, whatever you do, do it quickly. Can you imagine sitting there, seeing all that Jesus had done and watching Jesus reveal who had betrayed him? Can you imagine all of the miracles and all the things that the disciples and the other people had watched Jesus do? All the lives he had changed and then to realize that somebody in his 12 had sold him out. I mean, that's a moment, right? I mean, this, you can feel the tension in the room here. Jesus said, hey, listen, the, the person that I give this, this, this morsel to, this is the one who's done it. And I think Jesus wanted us to understand why we need to know who this individual is. So I want to ask you this question. Who was Judas? You say, well, he was a bad guy. Yeah, he was a traitor. I mean, in Scripture, we know him as the guy who betrayed Jesus. But I want to help you understand a different side of Judas you may not understand because I'm a lot like Judas. You say, what? No, I I am, really. And, And you are. Like, whether you realize it or not, we all have a little Judas in us, okay? I mean, you you say, yeah, you know, I've betrayed people before and people betrayed me. I mean, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you know, fist for a fist, whatever. The truth is, we all have some Judas in us. Because Judas began to follow Jesus for some very uncommon reasons. We know from history that he was one of the 12 disciples, and we also know that Jesus himself chose him. Did you hear that? Jesus chose Judas. You say, well, how did he ever get in the bunch? You know, how did, why did Jesus let him in? If Jesus knew he was going to betray him, listen, he let him in the same reason he let Peter in and the same reason he let John in. He loved him. The Bible says about Judas's life that as Judas began to be a follower of Jesus, he began to be the one who carried the money for the group. Now, some of you in this room will say, well, man, that's why he's corrupt. You know, if you hold the purse strings... For Jesus, you're probably taking money on the side. You know, you're taking some out yourself or whatever. And so that must have been why Judas was the dirty disciple. Listen, I don't know that's why Judas was the dirty disciple. We don't know that. All we know is this. There were some very clear moments in Judas's life that ought to cause us to think about Judas. One of them is found in Matthew 26. It's the story where Jesus comes in and they begin to anoint him with oil because they know he's going to go and die on the cross. And so these women came and they brought this very expensive vial of perfume and they broke it at Jesus's feet and everyone was in awe and it was a worship moment. And all of a sudden in Matthew 26, there was this one disciple who reared up on everyone and said, whoa, what are you guys doing? You're taking all this expensive perfume. I mean, we could, we could take that perfume and sell it and take the money and go take care of the poor. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. This is what they're supposed to do. You know who that disciple was? It was Judas. Judas was the disciple that got all bent out of shape. And, and he, here's what's so scary about that. Judas was near Jesus, but he wasn't with Jesus. Have you ever contemplated that in your life? I mean, you're here at church, right? Like I'm at church, like we come in and we say, hey, it's Sunday, so we're going to go to church and we're going to worship God and sing songs and I'm going to hear the Bible. And, and, and yet 
Millions and millions of Americans and millions and millions of people just like you and me every week, we do the same thing. Judas was just like that. But here's the thing that was different about Judas's life. He followed Jesus for the wrong reasons. He thought that Jesus was going to militarily free the people of Israel. And that he was probably going to have an opportunity to be a leading official, maybe even the prime minister of the people. And so what Judas decided is, I will be near Jesus, but I don't have to really be with Jesus. Isn't that a scary proposition? I mean, think about it. He walked next to Jesus, and yet he missed his opportunity to follow Jesus. I have that propensity. I've been there. There have been times in my life that I thought I was really following Jesus, that I was really following Sean. I mean, I ask this question all the time. Why do people want to be near to Jesus? You ever thought about that? Why do people want to be near Jesus? I mean, I've met people, they said, hey, I went to the doctor and I got a, I got a diagnosis that says I have cancer, so suddenly I want to be near God. Or we found out we're losing our house and so we're financially bankrupt and so suddenly I want God in my life. And you know, I don't fault people for that, but let me ask you the question, is that really wanting Jesus or is that wanting Jesus to do something for you? Because the road that Jesus was paving for our pardon wasn't so that we could have any type of political gain. It wasn't so that we could have our own little world. Listen, he was doing it for one reason. He wanted to pay for our pardon so that we could be free. So think about it. Judas, he followed him for a different reason. I, I thought about it this way this, this way this week. Why do people follow Jesus? Sometimes they follow him more for inspiration than in transformation. Jesus inspires me. He helps me live a better life. He helps me be more moral in my life. He keeps me from robbing a bank. <laughs> you know, he keeps me from selling crack on the streets. You know, I, that's why I want Jesus. I mean, we even do it to our kids sometimes, Right? We're like, you should be like Jesus, okay? And the truth is, we can't really sit down and explain. Many times we want them to be like Jesus, but if Jesus really got a hold of our teenager's life and they walked in and said, hey, mom and dad, I'm moving to Malaysia and I'm gonna be a career missionary, we'd like freak out. What? Go back and smoke some dope. You've been smoking dope, haven't you? (laughs) We freak out. But I want you to know, We often want more inspiration from Jesus than we want transformation. And you know what? That's what Judas got. I'm inspired by Jesus. He's going to change the world. He's going to set up a political system. We're no longer going to be under all this oppressive rule. And so I'm going to follow Jesus because I'm going to get something from Jesus. The problem is with that, Jesus wasn't about that. Jesus was about paying our pardon so that we could be free. You know, I often heard a guy say this, in order for us to say, Lord, your kingdom come, we gotta be willing to say, Lord, my kingdom go. Judas hadn't come to that place in his life. Scary proposition that a person could be so near Jesus and never be changed by him. Can I tell you what the real test is here? 
The real test about our pardon that we need to jump into today, have I been changed by my own personal relationship to Jesus? I say it this way. If there's been no change, I believe that equals the fact that there has been no Jesus. You say, wow, that's like profound. Like that's, that's like straight up. Like that's totally in my grill. I get that. And here's why that's so crazy. Because Judas had been near Jesus, but he had never been changed by Jesus. That propensity is real. We can come to church all of our life. We can check the box. We can do the deal. We can give. We can get baptized. We can, we can do a thousand things and never be changed by Jesus. And that's scary because what Jesus wants for you and what he wants for me is to transform us, not to inspire us. He cares more about paving our pardon than he does just fixing our little problems. So if there's no change, there's no Jesus. And that's what we see from his life. I mean, every time in scripture, when somebody encountered Jesus, their life was changed. They walked away healed. They walked away delivered. Like Jesus walked up and literally like their life was going in this direction and they had a collision with Jesus and their life went like 180. Anytime in scripture. So why is it that Judas could be so near Jesus and miss Jesus. It happens. You know, I wish I could tell you that's the highlight of the story, but it's not. Because we're about to do a 180 real quick, and I want you to go with me, because what you're about to see will probably change your view forever about Jesus in this moment. See, every time I've heard this passage, it's about the betrayal of Judas. We get excited hearing about the betrayal of how this all went down and how he sold him out for 30 shekels of silver. But I want to tell you something. There's more to the story, and this is where we're going to land today. We talk about this. You see, here's the thing. When we look at what Jesus did in this moment, it ought to cause us to be in shock and awe. I firmly believe this. We need to be more fascinated by Jesus than we are our own failure. That's why we like to talk about Judas, right? We think we have Judases in our life. Hey, you're a Judas. You betrayed me. You did this. You did that. And we often get more excited about our own failure and we get less fascinated by Jesus. But what I want to show you before we go here today, it will forever change our mentality about Jesus in this moment. And this is why we're going here today. Because what Jesus did in this moment was the total unexpected. The Bible tells us that Jesus walked over and he took a piece of bread and he dipped the morsel into what would have been known as bitter herbs. And when he dipped it into the sauce, he walked over and he handed it to Judas. Now see, most of you, when you read that story, you're like, yeah, Jesus was rubbing it in his face. Hey, Judas, it's you, you criminal, you worthless criminal. But you need to understand something. That's not what Jesus, or that's not what Jesus was doing. 
According to tradition, a host, when you would invite someone into your house, when the host would take a pinch of bread and would dip it in the bitter herbs and the vinegar, they would walk up to the person that they wanted to honor and they would hand them a morsel. And listen, I want you to hear this today. If you haven't heard anything else I've said, I pray you hear what I'm about to tell you. Jesus walked up to Judas and said, Judas, even though I know you've sold me out for 30 pieces of silver, even though I know you betrayed me, I choose to honor you and I still want you. You know what Jesus was doing? He was giving him another chance. He was standing in front of him, all of humanity being paved towards a pardon. And he looks at Judas and he said, Judas, will you be my friend? You see, some of you here, you think the reason that you can't get through the the stuff in your life is you're like, man, nobody could ever pay for my pardon. Listen, Jesus was already paving the way. He was looking at Judas and he was saying, one more time, Judas, just give me one more shot to transform your life. Give me one more shot to have a relationship with you because I love you. Judas, will you be my friend? See, that's what Jesus is doing to us today. We can talk all we want about the betrayal of Judas and why, and you're missing the point. The road to pardon was paved by an invitation by Jesus, not by a failure of Judas. Jesus looked at him and he said, will you be my friend? You see, when I, when, I, when I see that, when I understand that, it brings me back to this point. And this is why this rocks my relationship with Jesus so much. You ready? Because I realize that I can be near Jesus and still miss him, just like Judas. I mean, think about it. Jesus was reaching out to Judas at the very same time that Judas was walking away from him. And Jesus, Jesus still took the morsel and said, I love you. I want you. Some of you here today, you need to hear that. Man, you've wrecked your life. You're like, man, I'm going through a horrible divorce. I'm going through a nasty this. I'm, I'm, I mean, I've, I've, I've done all this junk. Listen, Jesus knows. And yet the morsel is still in his hand. And he's looking at someone like me and someone like you, and he's saying, I love you. I want you. Will you let me transform your life? So that propensity that I can be near Jesus and still miss him is real. But I think this is greater. Jesus is inviting you to himself. See, the road to pardon was paved by a personal invitation. Jesus in this moment was not inviting Judas to a religion. He was inviting him to himself. Judas. I love you. I don't know who you are today. I don't know what you're going through in your life, but I want you to hear the statement I'm about to make. Jesus knows who you are. He knows what you've done. And he even knows what you're capable of doing still. 
And yet today, Jesus is holding the morsel in front of you saying, will you let me change your life? Will you let me forgive you? Will you let me set you free? Will you, will you take the pardon that I've paved for you and let it change your life? I'm not paving this road so that you can have dead religion. Like dead religion is man's attempt to try to worship God. Jesus said, I want a real relationship. Like me and you, like I am the host and I am putting before you the seat of honor saying, here's the invitation, it's me. I want to say it again. Jesus knows who you are. He knows what you've done and he knows what you're capable of doing still. And he's inviting you to himself. I want every person to just bow their heads here today. Would you do that? In fact, let's stand to our feet. Let's all stand to our feet with our heads bowed. I'm going to ask that nobody leave. We're going to take a really awesome moment here to focus on our relationship with Jesus before we leave. So please don't leave. But with our our heads bowed and our eyes closed and everybody standing, listen, I firmly believe there are many people here today. You have been close to Jesus, but you've never been changed by Jesus. And listen, there is a difference. God doesn't want you to live distant from him. Like he did all of what we're gonna talk about over the next four weeks because he wanted to pave the pardon for you to be set free. He didn't want you to have to go through all the stuff that maybe you're going through in your life and you're like, man, Jesus, how in the world could you offer that to me? It's real simple. He loves you. And today he's inviting you to himself. And so if you're here and you say, Sean, I have never been changed by Jesus. Honestly, if I look at my life, I can honestly say that my relationship with God is no different than just the average person who calls on him when they need him. Listen, have you ever been changed by Jesus? Because if there's no change, there's no Jesus. And I love you enough to tell you today, Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. If that's you today, and you say, Sean, for the very first time, I wanna give my life to Christ. Would you pray this prayer with me just silently right where you stand? Just say, dear Jesus, thank you for inviting me to yourself. I come to you today, Jesus, and I surrender my life to you. Would you please come into my life, forgive me of all the junk I've done and change me from the inside out. I wanna be made new. I wanna be changed, Jesus. I don't wanna just hear about you. I don't wanna just be near you. I wanna know you in a personal way. Jesus, save me today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, there may be several, there may be two, there may be one, there may be none. But let me tell you what I'm gonna do today. I'm gonna invite you to do something maybe you've never done before. Today, if you prayed with me right now and you asked Jesus to come into your heart, I want you to step out of your seat right now and I want you to come stand right down here with me. I'm inviting you to come. I'm gonna allow you to have the opportunity to take communion after you just gave your heart heart and your life to Jesus. If that's you today, step out right now. Come on, I'm inviting you to come. There may be 10, there may be 20. You say, today was my day. Today's the day I gave my life to Christ. I'm not ashamed of it. I know that Christ entered my life. I know that today I'm a brand new person. I want you to come stand right down here. Just come stand. 
Listen, I've prayed all week long. I believe that God wants to set some people free in this room today. God wants to free you of religion. He wants to free you of your failure. He wants you to be more fascinated by him than you are your own struggle. I invite you, come on. Anybody else? Today, Sean, I prayed with you and I gave my life to Christ and I meant it. And I'm coming today to stand to say that I gave my life to Jesus and I'm not ashamed. Just come on. Anybody else? Come on. I invite you. Come on. As you come, what you're doing is you're saying, today I gave my life to Christ. Anybody else? I'm giving you just a few more moments. You say, man, you're bold today. No, I'm not bold today. I'm just being real. Listen, I want Jesus to change your life like he changed mine. I mean, it's not fun being near Jesus, but not knowing Jesus. I mean, it's very confusing. Religion confuses people. A relationship clarifies everything in your life when you know Christ. Anybody else want to come? One more moment. Come on. Anybody else want to step out? Say, today I gave my life to Christ. Listen, those of you that are standing down here, I want to tell you, this is the greatest decision that you'll ever make in your heart. The decision to give your life to Christ is the most transformative thing that will ever happen to you because what you're doing, and this is what's so cool, I want you to get the picture. Jesus today offered you the free gift of salvation and all you had to do was what? Take it. Why don't you take that piece of bread right there? All you had to do was take it. All you had to do is take it. It's free. You couldn't purchase this, right? Like you couldn't afford this. This is, this is the truth. Jesus said he gave himself for you. You couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford it. I couldn't pay the bill. I couldn't run the check. But today by you coming forward and saying, Jesus, I want you in my life. The Bible says that today he saved you. Father in heaven, I thank you today for these people that are here. Lord, I thank you today that, Lord, salvation is made real in this place, Jesus, that you are king in this place. And Lord, today there are four or five people here standing publicly to say, today I'm giving my life to Christ. And so, Lord, I thank you today that the heavens are rejoicing. There's a party breaking out in heaven right now because of these people who said yes to Jesus. Lord, I thank you today that you heard them as they prayed. And Lord, you gave them salvation when they called on your name. And so, Lord, thank you for that. Father, I love you. Thank you for working such a mighty, powerful way in our midst this morning. All of you that are standing down here that gave your life to Christ, I want you to look at me. I want you to do something you, you, you're going to enjoy. You ready? These men down here are serving communion. This communion represents the body of Christ and the blood that he shed for us. It doesn't save us. It doesn't set us free from anything. It's totally symbolic. But today, before you go back to your seat, I want you to grab this and I want you to take communion at this table and I want you to thank Jesus for your salvation today. Amen? Amen. Let's celebrate.